And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 55, and our book is Gazkul Thraka, Prophet of the Wa by Nate Crowley. We posted, sorry, it is about, it gives us the first real glimpse into the backstory of who is Gazkul Thraka, other than the prophet of Gork and Mork, and what makes him tick. We'll talk more about that in a second here. Uh, so we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, you haven't yet read the book. It's a limited edition, and I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait a little bit for it to come out. But check it out, check out the questions, check out the book, and then come back and listen to our podcast, as we'll be discussing it in great detail from start to finish. Having said that, if you're somewhat passingly familiar with certain events that involve Sraka, like Armageddon or Yarrick, we're probably not going to have too many spoilers in here for you. Um, other than, this is like probably my new favorite special edition we've ever purchased. Oh my god, how did I not notice that? I never noticed that before till you just did it. I love it. And... The other thing that this book did that was really interesting, uh, now it's going to take me forever to find it, is the use of green text. Yeah. Which I thought was lovely. Oh, here. Where is... I got it. Yes. That is fantastic. But then there's a scene... Uh, yes. Like, yeah. it's a commitment to a theme yes and i'm here for it i absolutely love it typically the books like often like when gaz Thraka talks his text is very bold and they've done that in the past right where people talk like in italics or in bold and but the use of green in this book was chef's kiss well it actually had a purpose especially the when the pages were in green it wasn't just in green like oh this is fun there was actually a good reason for why it wasn't green so i i really enjoyed it and i kind of hope that when they come out with just regular paperback that they still have the green i really oh my do. gosh yes i really hope they don't lose that because it's it's kind of part it's in the mixed media way it's kind of part of the storytelling mm -hmm. really so as always did you like the book i enjoyed it yeah i really really liked this book um, it was pretty much everything I came here for. Like, what makes Sraka tick? Oh, now I know. Um, you know what it reminded me a lot of? It's kind of the orc version of uh, ADB's Black Legion series. I guess, yeah. We kind of get to understand Abaddon a little better through Iskander Kane's eye, right? Um, the idea that we get to see Thraka a little bit more through his favorite Grot Makari. Favorite. <laughs> Big air quotes around that one. So what parts of the book stood out to you? Um, basically, any time that they kind of discussed like the orc philosophies on things, just because they're so matter of fact about it, like it just makes, oh. just make, just makes sense, right? Like, I don't remember exactly where 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 they said it, but they were talking about, you know, um, all the different planets that were out there, and they're like, well, but of course that means that's all of ours. We just gotta go take them back. It's like, oh, that's just what it means. It's 
just how it is. It's, you know, and just you're talking about how it's just all about they just want to look for the next, which we kind of knew that they just want to look look for their next big fight. Like it's it's really not about um, like the chaos gods or anything like that. It's just we just want to fight, and the big the bigger and better the fight, the more fun we're all having here, which is kind of anti every what every other race believes. Like yes, they like you know some of the space marines like they do like to have their big fights, but they don't want to constantly have them all the time. Like the way that that the orcs do. Childlike innocence to the orcs, like they're they're horrifying and they're terrible. And like when they talk about when Makari is talking about like seeing the human beings being cooked down by the other humans and how he kind of gets that kid killed, yeah, totally gets the kid killed. Like it's all horrible and awful, but like just their acceptance of that and just kind of well, this is just the way that the world works, right? There's almost a childlike innocence to that, which kind of makes them more frightening. Well, especially, you know, when um, the Inquisitor Falx would say, like, well, you know, you, you hated him because of the way that they treat you. And he was like, well, yes, but I'm a grot. That's how I'm supposed to be treated. Like, it's just so matter of fact. Like, this is just how it is. Yes, I ran away because how am I going to? How is he going to prove his worth? I'm supposed to be with him if he doesn't chase me down and beat me. Then I then I won't know that he's worth my time. It's like such a interesting way of looking at the world, but it's in a way that it just it makes sense to how the orcs work and how why they put up with all this that they do put up with. Why there hasn't been a Gretchen revolution because that's just the way things right. are. It's just the way the world is and I like when he talks about how he's just kind of born knowing this like he's just mm -hmm. born and this is just kind of how life goes and there were a couple interesting little phrases he had where he talked about like how he wanted to tell Thraka something and he's like but it's not my place as a grot and if he listened to me I kind of lose some respect for him <laughs> yeah that's kind of wild but also talk about really being comfortable with who you are yeah, I mean, just that self-awareness, uh, which you just don't see, I think, with orcs that much, that idea of being self-aware, because mm -hmm. they, they're often very hedonistic, but, you know, it's, but it's also, you know, something that Gazkolf said, you know, at the very beginning, you know, some orcs are strong, some orcs are clever, I'm both. So he's like the only orc that was really, like, not only was he a really good fighter, but he was a good thinker. Right. We'll, we'll talk a lot about that here in a bit. I have to say my favorite part of this book is when they go onto the ship and they start fighting the demons. That whole scene is amazing. But his Thraka's showdown with the blood letter it's amazing. Like when the guy throws when he takes the guy's whip and he throws it and he's like, dropped your whip. <laughs> Yeah. So delightful because I think I've mentioned this on a couple podcasts that my all-time favorite memes on Grimdank are the ones where they talk about like the demons finding a ship with no Gellerfield and then figuring out it's the orcs and being like, oh no. Right. <laughs> Absolutely love that. And I love when even Makari is like, okay, there might have been a few too many demons in here. Then a bunch of other guys show up and just 
fun. And I love when he's talking about the demons and how he's like, you know, kind of are like what you humans think about. Like, there's ones that represent enjoying yourself and anger and that racked me up. And I like, I like that, or I was actually, I guess, a little surprised that they have that much awareness of the demons, right? Mm-hmm. Because I thought that they couldn't see the demons, or the demons couldn't see them. I thought that was like the the big thing with them. They just oh no, they're just not scared of them. Not scared of them, and they're kind of useless to demons. They're kind of like the Sisters of Silence because they're soulless. That's true because they are just fungi. Okay. Yeah, they're kind of useless. Um, I think if I'm not, I don't, I can't remember if this is canonical or not. Somebody, please let me know if it is. Corn uh, has an entire planet. That's basically taken over with orcs, and it's like his own amusement. Because that, that seems you, very corn. It's it, right. Like I was kind of like, well, this all tracks. If anybody would be amused by the things that just want to fight for all eternity and keep resurrecting themselves, it would probably be corn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I really liked that scene. I thought that whole scene was super fun. My other favorite part was when he's standing on the balcony and he is like, I will stand here until we finish. And Makari describes himself like slowly but surely, like wrapping himself in furs. And I could just imagine this little grot with his nose poking out of these furs holding this little banner. Amazing, very cinematic. Yeah, it was, it was entertaining, to, to say the least. Very much so. And so actually, you know what? Probably one of my favorite parts was huh. um, the space wolf, Hendrickson, getting frustrated with how the story is going. He would constantly interrupt, like, that doesn't make any sense. How did you do it? And when they keep telling the story, he's like, you didn't explain this. You said you were. Oh, we are this time. Talking. Where is explanation? Well, if you quit interrupting, we would get there. And then the explanation comes and he's like, that's stupid. <laughs> and yet they, I mean, just like the whole concept of reincarnation, you know, he's like, that's so stupid. It's like, but they really believed it. And, uh, you know, they killed a psyker fish thing over it. That was just weird. Whatever that was. True. Saying I really like the crude. Um, I did not like that one. It was a little disturbing. The whole concept of it, when she kept saying, she's like, I don't like the cupbearer. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be? And then when they were describing it, no, no, I don't like this at all. This is not good. No, but I did laugh and Biter said, something's, your fish is not feeling well. And it's like, you know, belly up. At <laughs> Amazing, especially when Falks kind of realizes when she's like, you guys just sat there and watched it die, too. Like, Well, could they have saved it? I mean, let's be real. No, but the fact that they didn't even, like, let on. They just sat there and watched it and waited. Because it was amusing to them. Oh, yeah, which, okay, that was another, like, throwaway line that I thought was hysterical. <laughs> uh, Hendrickson is is insisting he's like Thraka is a he and Falks is like well they don't really have the concept of like sex and gender and biters like oh no we understand it we think it's funny <laughs> because I bet the orcs do find 
all of that funny. And right. then I had like my husband and I had like a fifteen minute like dalliance of like how confused by sex would they be in general? Like <laughs> I mean, just as much as a mushroom would be, right? I mean oh. I like I just thought again, it's just like their knowledge of human culture and human I guess just the way that we work is continually surprising to me when they just kind of throw sprinkle little things but I like that in particular where he's like oh it's funny but I think it depends though I think it depends on how long they've been around because like Makari because he keeps coming back he's been around for a long time Um, you know they said Bullets was still alive so he's been around for a very long time and they didn't really Biter wasn't there back then but you can get the feeling just by how big he is he's been around for a long time So, I mean, that kind of stuff kind of tracks. You know, the, the smaller, younger orcs wouldn't, they wouldn't know about other cultures just yet. Not until they actually get older, but they learn how to speak, you know, low gothic at first. Right. So, which, and also that was delightful. The whole time I was like, this little bastard speaks low gothic. You know he does. And then at the end, after when they're like, well, how are we going to talk to him without the translator? And he's like, well, you could just ask me a question. See, I didn't see that coming. I was like, that little son of a bitch. <laughs> they never needed like, Biter. do it. They never needed Biter at all. He no. was there for some other role, which was apparently to, I guess, kill the Psyker Ogren for giggles. Talk more about that in a minute. Um, so... Alright, let's talk about Thraka in general. So what surprised you the most about Thraka? Or what was the thing that you thought was most intriguing about him as a big bad? Okay, um, I never heard of him before mm-hmm. until we did this book. So so I didn't know so I have the collection of Tharmageddon novels with, you know, the ADB wrote and a bunch of short stories and everything, but I haven't read it yet because I've only got so much time. And I always kept seeing the Yarrick on the bus at the Citadel, but I never picked it up. Well, now I kind of wish that I had because I would like to read it now, but that's neither here nor there. So I didn't really know very much about him. So I guess you could say everything surprised me because I, again, I didn't know anything. So this is like all fresh information for me. You mentioned before, one of my favorite stories is the chains of Golgotha with Yarrick and it's because in the end after the orcs have kind of been torturing Yarrick and he keeps trying to escape and they keep recapturing and they keep hanging him up to torture him when he finally escapes for like the umpteenth time Thraka picks him up and tells him in perfect high gothic you are my greatest enemy I'll see you like at the end battle <laughs> like the way that David Annandale wrote it, like, it gave you chills, right? Because he even says, he's like, this chilled me to my spine and does to my day, the fact that this orc speaks high gothic. So I just kind of kept that in my mind. It's deeply unnerving. There's those two chapters there, like, after he dies. And then when he resurrects, when you get to actually see through Thraka. Deeply unnerving that he thinks on that level. Mm-hmm. In high gothic, because, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually kind of quote Falks here: is that the imperial truth holds that these things are animals, right? And like, when you compare him to Brutal Cunning, right? 
obviously he's kind of on his own level but but you know but we've we've kind of gotten into this before you know and we you know and i even saw this in playing you know space marine all those years ago is that you figure out really quick that the bigger the orc is the longer they have lived Mm -hmm. and therefore the more knowledge that they have obtained or i guess wisdom or intelligence however you want to graph it because you would notice it and even in that game how bad was the Gatney accent? Well, with the little ones, you know, it was like you could barely understand them. Right. And then it kept, but then it would mellow out the higher up. And yes, they would have it. They might would still have okay. that Cockney accent, the, the, bit, the really big ones in the game, but you could just perfectly understand what they were saying, you know? Right. Um, so you always kind of saw that. So it kind of made sense to me that Thraka for how long he was living because we actually you know we also saw this in um, Blood of Ajax because that big war boss had been alive for a long time and he could speak perfect high gothic as well and he was very eloquent yep. in how he spoke to the uh, the apothecary that they had prisoner right. very much so um, very much so and it's it's kind of one of those it, it it's what makes the orcs such a fascinating fascinating faction is that yeah like generally they're soccer hooligans in space right so they just go and they fight and they die and maybe they come back maybe they don't right they're they're just kind of a mindless horde that finds war and battle funny and but if you give them some time they're there is and it is very much that mork that gork and mork concept right where when they're young, they're all Team Gork. Right. But if you give them some time, Mork will start creeping in there, right? And it it's one of those things that makes them really fascinating because we're already starting to see this with Thraka, that if they organize, right, going to be a real problem for the Imperium. Or anybody. Yeah, anybody, really. Since they're not afraid of anybody. Right. right, like I mean, he even mentions in here briefly they they tussle with the Tyranids. They don't, they don't care. It's all it's all equal. It's equal opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Space Marines tout that they know no fear, but the all of the orcs literally know no fear. I mean, the Grots. I mean, I'm sure like the little ones do, but the, you know, the only ones that they fear are each other. That is it. They only fear one another. They don't fear any other race, any animal. Because everything else is a challenge, and it could be fun. Right, very much so. <laughs> the other thing that's really interesting about them that you can't forget is that the the large theory is that these things were created by the old ones, right, as part of the war in heaven, as kind of an un, like a weapon. They've developed their own culture. They've developed their own religion. And here's... I thought that the orcs were warped elves. I mean, that's what Tolkien told me. Don't you mention Tolkien in my house. I'm sorry, the guy that invented all this stuff? Don't quote Dickens in my apartment. Um, Okay, I didn't quote Dickens. Fuck that guy mid-90s reference um so <laughs> depends on your sense of humor there uh 
Correct. So, and that's actually, and I really did like, by the way, like, typically, like, I always read the authors afterwards because I always find them very interesting. This afterward is a particular treat. But he talks a lot about the orc with a K versus orc with a C. Mm-hmm. I thought that was so interesting. It's, well, it's because it is very different, right? And as you said, like, the traditional is that the orcs are just like these especially in fantasy, right? They're just angry, mindless. They're probably some type of corrupted creature if it's the elves or something else, right? That they're just this malevolence given form. And I mean, technically you could argue that with the orcs, the 40k orcs too. They're just kind of malevolence given form. But again... (laughs) They're malevolent mushrooms. They're killer fungus, man. I mean... (laughs) It's amazing. You know... The fungal infections are some of the worst a human can have. It's true. And also, that's one of those things that, like, every time, like, we buy mushrooms or I cook mushrooms, I'm always, like, big shout out to all the people who figured out the ones of these things we could eat and couldn't. (laughs) I, that's one of those things that, about, like, human evolution in general, where I'm just like, that was a very long and painful process for people. (laughs) I really, yeah. Anyways, big mushroom person. Uh, although I like to imagine that whoever really created the orcs for 40k was not a mushroom person. It's like the he quote, might have had a mushroom problem in his backyard. That could be too. Um, I, the area I live in is way too dry for that. Uh, see, uh, when I lived further north, whenever it would rain. I swear to God, within an hour or two. It's it's uncanny how it happens, how fast these motherfuckers grow. It would rain in the evening, white caps all in the backyard. It was amazing. And then they turned green and they started saying, here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh, no, we pulled them all up and threw them away. My version was a lot better. No, your version's terrifying. <laughs> Yes, and that this book did a really good job of that. By the way, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's just how, like how okay. Oh, it's so you fun. Saying We're that, having such a good time. You saying that? I cracked up, and they're coming up with a war cry, and that's what they came up with. And they just it was their war hymn, and they were just saying it over and over again. Like, oh my god! Here we go. <laughs> oh my god! Like that's about. But so I want to talk briefly about Gork and Bork. Because, oh man, there's so much going on with Gork and Mork. So first off, do you believe that he really is the prophet of Gork and Mork? Why not? I mean, sure, why not? If the, I mean, if the orcs are going to have their own deities, I mean, it makes sense that this guy's the prophet because he's undoubtedly the smartest orc that has ever, ever lived. I... And still I lives. Have a spirit really had a spiritual crisis with this one you guys because if you tell me that Karn is the chosen avatar of the blood god I'm like yeah that makes sense but for some reason when he's like I am the prophet of Gork and Mork I'm like oh bless your heart you think your gods are real but then reading this book I was like oh yeah I guess they would be if for no other reason than the orcs believe in them well I mean why not 
I mean, and also we do know for a fact that the orcs do have some sort of weird psychic psyker ability that when they want something, it happens. When they believe in like the red ones go faster, you know, they they don't actually go faster, but they believe that they do. And so that whatever psychic talent that they have translates into that they actually go faster. So why not? Even if it's something that they just believed in and created from their psyker abilities, why not? I mean, the Eldari talk about how they're old gods. They had old gods that are dead now. We have these gods. They elves freaking the Eldar birthed a god for crying out loud. Why not have the orcs have their own gods? And then yeah, like they gonna I can go accept in, all of that. They're gonna get yeah, into the to the Catan. But then you get into the Catan. I mean, is that a god? Is the Void Dragon a god? I mean. I don't know why I had such a hard time accepting Gork and Mork. And they, like, reading this book, when I finally got to the end, when they were talking directly to him, I was like, oh, they're real. And it was actually kind of exciting. Like, I felt like the kid in all of the Christmas movies, right? Who, Santa does exist. Like, I kind of felt like that. Yes, Gork and Mork are kind of Santa Claus of the 40K universe, I think is what I'm saying here. But well, I did have this fair, moment where I was like... I've always imagined them wearing red, so... Orcs? Well, and that also, so to your point there, one of the things I liked about the orcs, and this holds true as well, is in the afterword, he talks about how orcs, they, they can literally live Schrodinger, right? Like, the cat is both dead and alive to yeah. them. They know that red paint is just red paint, but they also know that red paint makes things go faster. So yes. both things can be true. And um, I, well, I guess I'm like starting to think that because they think there's gods, there are gods. It could be. I mean, it would make sense to me. To be, like I said, like their, their little psyker abilities, they think therefore they are right there. Cogito ergo sum, if we're going to go into high gothic about it. But um, uh, I mean, there was when Makari tells about you know, Thraka's origination before he was Thraka and how he's holding his brains in and fighting off animals and Cassia's like, well, I heard it was like this. And Makari's like, they're both true. Okay, sure. I mean... Yeah. They can be true. And I guess... Now I'm gonna, like, start thinking of all the orcs through, like, the lens of Descartes. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> I'm just saying, now I can have that here. So let's talk a little bit about Makari because there was something very interesting at the end of this book. Let's focus on Makari first and then we'll come to the other character who shocked the hell out of me. But, because it, this comes from Grotznik, but do you agree with Grotznik about Makari's purpose? Yes. 100%. And there's like a nice... It's, there's kind of a delicious irony that it yeah. is a grot, the lowest of the low, who is meant to kind of be... His conscience? It is Gemini Cricket, really, I mean, right? Think about a cricket, lowest of the low, who's, you know, right? Pinocchio's conscience and his guide, so there you go. Mm -hmm. It just... Yeah, I mean, that 100% made sense. Grotnik, I'm not so sure about his purpose, just, just because... Man, I see too many of these pain boys 
that are in it just for themselves. Right. Like, do I really I, do I really believe he was cause making those headaches worse so the gods could talk louder? No, I think that was a happy accident with his tinkering around in there because I think he was meddling around in his brain to try to control him. But try, but but I think both could be true. No, I think it's a happy accident. It's like, well, because I did this, he was able to talk to the gods, so therefore it is thanks to me, so it's a good thing that I was doing this, even though I was doing this for this other reason. That's my purpose. So he's found justification for what he's done. I think you... Uh, I go back and forth! Because, yes, I think you're absolutely correct. I think he kind of, like, got to the end and was like, oh that's what I've been doing. But then on the other hand, is it one of those things where, again, going back to the orc way of life that because he believes that's what he's doing, it's making it happen. Like, I believe that these headaches are letting the gods talk to him, ergo. I think that he thought that afterwards. When he saw how things were going, he'd be like, oh, you know what? That's what those headaches were actually doing. I was doing the gods' work. But that's, could be right. but that's not what he was doing. It was just so convenient because all I could think about is, you know, this little pissant of a guy who got jealous of a freaking grot and spaced him. And uh, the whole time, like, I was so frustrated because I was like, I just want McCurry to snap and like call this guy out and make him pay for what he's doing because I got like really oddly protective of Throckett there at the end especially when he talks about how he sewed up a spanner in his head just for laughs I was like no no that's not okay but then at the end there where he's like yeah I'm part of the God's plan and so are you oh man that would explain why kind of a douchebag like you is still alive and around right Right. I mean, not to say that the gods didn't use him for this, but do I believe this is what he planned? No. No, he had his own plan and the gods used that to their advantage. That's the only reason why Grotznik was still around. That's the only reason why he's part of the plan. Malkari, 100%, has been been part of the plan. But then... Maybe, maybe Gork move, works in mysterious ways, kind of like the Chaos Gods, right? That, like, this seemingly random stuff, it's all part of the plan. Kind of like Zeech. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. I don't... I don't know. I really struggled with this. As I said, I kind of had, a like, a conscience of, like, a crisis of faith here and I think Makari is actually the one that really made me have to be like okay I think Gorgon work are real the way that Maca- with that Gosgul keeps bringing him back like when he grabs the grot and is like it's Makari and then suddenly he has all those memories of Makari and it's like oh right wow you right. look like crap what's happened you know just yeah I also love when he goes through actually the loved, period of killing himself I oh my god and the ways he was doing it was just awful. He's like, remember the time that I caught you beating yourself with a wrench? It's like, my God, man. Kari's like, yeah. I mean, what I thought was so cute was that bullets 
missed him the most. And it was actually Bullets who brought him back that last time after he was like smacking <laughs> so many grots trying to find Makari. <laughs> like, just like, Makari, smash! Makari, smash! When he finally is like, I'm over here. I loved Bullets, and Bullets actually might be the one that kind of convinced, like, really, because I've, I've kind of had this theory for a while that there's like a childlikeness to them. Bullets, for sure. Like, I don't know if you can call an orc a pure soul, but he seemed like such a pure little soul. Because he loved Makari. He loved Makari, and he was, I would actually say he was also extremely smart. Because even right. though he was the leader, as soon as, well, he wasn't the leader, but he was definitely second in command. He's the type of guy that likes to hang back and kind of watch everything. And when uh, Gosgold totally killed that leader and they're looking up at bullets and he got something he's just like nope he knows exactly when he's beat and you can't say very many orcs are willing to do that to know when they are beat and not only did he know that he was beat he there was never any plan to overthrow him he was like this is the guy that i'm supposed to follow so right and you don't really have very many orcs that are that loyal to a fault i mean look at brutal cunning None of them were that loyal to one another. No, no. And that's, it's kind of interesting because I kept thinking that like Thraka in a lot of ways really is kind of like the orc Primarch, right? Like he reminds me of any of the Primarch's origin stories where they land on this planet. It's kind of a nightmare. Everybody's warring and fighting and they bring everyone together. He kind of is like that. Mm -hmm. And kind of like a lot of the chaos Primarchs. When dad goes away or when dad's out of ear of eye, you know, earshot or eyesight, yeah, they're just bickering at each other like children. Which is also kind of fun. Right. About them. Because you look, yeah, you look at the Brutal Cunning guys and it's like, yeah, none of these guys are, they, none of them have gotten this memo. Maybe Thraka just hasn't found them yet. Maybe this is a period when Thraka's dead after Armageddon. Yeah, like, ex ex except that you know that the Brutal Cunning guys, they're a faction of the Bad Moons. So, I, but you know, but Thraka hasn't really officially come back, come back yet because apparently right. got thwarted because the Inquisitor actually got smart for half a second. I did. Mean, they talk about the laughter. Right. Oh, he's coming. Like, he's not gone, gone, but by not killing Makari, they didn't speed his return, basically. Right. Right. But, uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> so, let me ask you this, by the way. So, speaking of the Inquisitor getting smart, were you surprised about the whole Blood Axe thing? The idea that there's this orc tribe, basically, that totally will treat with human beings totally will they're not but, trustworthy but they're basically pirates no it really didn't um and again that's thanks to david annandale's son sons of titan because there oh. was a xenos inquisitor that was like that as well who entreated with with orcs now she was a bigger backstabber than uh the blood axes were and that she would promise these things and then totally neg on everything and every work that she had, she would experiment on. Because <laughs> her goal was right. she was trying to find a disease that would actually kill the orcs because the orcs are immune to disease. Right. So, no. You need to find the genophage. 
they do need to find the genophage or just some really good pesticide. That's really all you need. Some really good. That's really, yeah. Just some Roundup. Yes. I mean, like, I mean, seriously. I mean, like the old ortho branded. Like yes. They're basically literally using petroleum byproducts to kill bugs. I mean, I mean, seriously, that, that Roundup stuff, I mean, if you sprayed it a little too outside of that driveway, you had a dead patch. You killed that whole area and you had to dig it up and get new soil because it was it's like they salted the fields so that's what they needed really if you want to kill orcs just a bunch of that roundup to spray and that'd be hilarious <laughs> someone needs to write that in would be hysterical and it makes me think of that emperor's text-to-speech where he talks about the tyranids and he's like have you never heard of bug spray <laughs> i mean like yeah y'all I, never heard of that roundup right. <laughs> just saying i Okay, the blood act biter's whole end game because I mean, they told you at the beginning, right? He's just dealing with you right now so that he can kill you later. Right. But I thought it meant like, like you know, like figuratively speaking, like later at some point, right? Like, well, biter years from now, twenty years from now, biter really had me fooled. Like I thought he was a um, a very um, sophisticated orc and that because you know because he was understanding he knew his audience he was you know doing all the you know yes ma'ams no ma'ams things like that it's like wow this is a very different different orc and then when he went on that killing spree when she said to go take a nap it's like wow you fooled me man did not see that coming and i he guess steals the launch co the codes and he what and then what? and then makari's just sitting there just smiling like what? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, and yeah. by the way, I also speak Logothic. Like, after I, I've let the space wolf, like, spend himself. <laughs> we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, I was really, but I was like, I guess I was just really surprised about Biter. Like, I was like, dang, that was way more clever than I should have. But I should have given him credit for being that clever because of, as you said, how respectful he was and how cognizant he was of how all of this Imperial stuff worked. Mm -hmm. And we kind of knew he was a snake, but I was impressed at least. Yeah. When she's like, oh, oh, he stole the thing off of the servitor. Like, yeah, that was kind of an awkward scene when it happened. Yeah, I was like, oh, he's helping a servitor? That's just weird, but okay. And she talks about how it was, like, almost gentle. Well, yeah, to give him extra time to pilfer that. Mm -hmm. Oh, biter. So let's, before we talk about Falks, let's talk about her retinue for a second. What were your thoughts on her retinue? We've seen a lot of Inquisitor's retinues yeah. at this point. I mean, th nothing surprises me. Um, I don't remember which book it was that had Inquisitor MacGuffin. Because he, he had a alien in his retinue. And I don't remember that book. But, you know, after that, because this female alien was, like, you know, holding this box, ended up being this thing that totally, like, saved them all from... Oh, gosh, which book was it? I don't remember. Because uh, I just remember one of our friends called him Inquisitor MacGuffin. We're like, that's good. But, you know, they had, he was an order. Which one that is right now? He's an inquisitor who's an order of Xenos who had a Xenos in his party. 
And when the Imperial Guard was like, oh my god, kill it with fire. He's like, uh, no, this thing saved your life and you will be nice. She's with me. It's like, what? Okay, sure. At this point, nothing's going to surprise me with what Inquisitors who are supposed to, you know, be the, the hand of the or, the, or the dagger, I guess, of the Empire, or the Imperium, that they just, you know, kind of fall in. I mean, sure, we've seen Inquisitor Malleus consorting with demons, so why not at this point? Nothing's going to surprise me. Have an Augurin in your party? Sure, why not? It's driving me crazy that I can't remember. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. and I can't think of the book or the story, and now that's driving me crazy. This what happens when you read so many things. Oh, this is going to drive me insane. But so the Ogren, oh man, I really wrestled with the Ogren in general. And I did like that folks kind of address. <laughs> so first off, I will fully admit, when Cassia appeared and they mentioned her being an Ogren, I full on was like, oh, right. Ogrens would be female as well as male. Totally had a moment of, oh, of course. Because typically in the artwork and in most of the stories that I've read, it's it's male Ogrens that you run into, right? And they are dumb. Mm -hmm. They're uber loyal. And that's pretty much it. So Very strong. Whole, very strong. Oh, my God. The whole concept of Cassia, in the beginning, I was kind of like, this is uncomfortable. But then I did like how Falks kept saying, she's like, well, the Imperial Truth says they can't read, but she taught herself how to do it. And like, Which explains why truth, I think she is in with an Inquisitor. They can't let an, an Ogren that's a psyker who taught herself how to read go free. Well, she says that, right? When the Commissar is like, uh, dude, do, do, will you take her off my hands? Because... I can't have, I can't have a Psyker Ogren. That's not a thing. Right. But he also didn't want to kill her, right? Because it, it would have been such a shame. And I actually did feel really bad when she gets killed at the end because I was like, oh, that's such a waste. Like, I was, I was really rooting for Team Cassia there at the end because it does go back to something they've explored a lot, especially coming off the heels of the third Dark Imperium book. The rift is working in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. We're seeing this unprecedented psychic awakening of all of these psychers. People's powers getting stronger, just psychers popping up like, well, like orcs. <laughs> and then you have an Ogren who is now psychic. I would actually be curious to know if the orcs are getting more weird boys than they previously had. That would be kind of hmm. be interesting to see, too. That would be interesting. Like, if it's also affecting them. Right. But, and she was, it was very interesting, just the idea that, and it kind of made me wonder, like, I wonder if the Ogrens really would be capable of more, but because the Imperial Truth says that they are just big, dumb oxen that you throw at the enemy, kind of like the orcs. I always oh, wonder wait. about whose Imperial Truth is it? Is it the Imper Emperor's Imperial Truth? I don't think so. Or is it what the high high lords of Terra have decided is the imperial truth? And I think it's well, they, the latter. I guess it depends on your certain point of view. If oh. you're the imperial, if you're the imperial lords, then of course it's the emperor's truth, and suggests right. otherwise it's heresy. All right, I'm a heretic. You know, yes. it's it's like honestly, um, when like in Christian faith, 
when you hear meet someone who's just like, well, I know what God, what God would do. Oh, you do? Wow. That's fascinating that you presume to know what God would do or how God would feel in this situation. That's kind of how I feel about the High Lords of Terra. It's like, you guys don't know shit. Stuff like that happens. I still go back to that conversation between Gullivan and Frater Matthew when he's like, I'm the only person alive who has spoken to the Emperor. Like, right. Well, at least here, because the custodies, you know. It is to presume to be presumed that they're sort of having some conversation. Um, so let's talk about Hendrickson. He was kind of a odd hysterical, though. He's funny. Have, I, mean, I liked him. Funny. I, 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 liked I liked him, although the fact, but, you know, so he's a rune priest, and I already have my issues with the space wolves saying that we're rune priests and not psychers. And then he gets into, he's like, it's like, well, we can do this the old-fashioned way, and just pulls out furs and gets all these torture tools. It's like, oh, we're going to go that old. It's like, and it just makes me mad all over again. It's like, you guys think you're so much better than what the Thousand Suns were. You guys are just coating a different slather of paint over what you do. You didn't have pet demons. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, that that is true. But it's one thing that just drove me insane in reading A Thousand Sons, like especially, you know, with um, what's his name? Oh, there. Was, was, he was a rune priest, and yet he's like, well, what we're doing is not what y'all are doing. It's like, okay, that's true, but you're still using psychic abilities. And they're like, no, we're using runes. Like, Okay. Scars do the same thing with their psychers. Oh, I, I like, you're not psychers. Um, oh, I know. I it's it's just hypocritical. And just seeing this is like, wow, the Space Wolves, full hypocritical form. Although apparently, yes, you're, you were a member of the Death Watch and you never got released from duty. That's strange. A little strangeness going on there, isn't it? Um, there was actually a lot there that I would love to see explored in another story. And we'll talk more about Falks in a minute. But I have to tell you that I kind of started laughing when he unrolled his furs. And he's like, we're going to do this the old-fashioned way. And he starts cutting on himself. I, Because I, I was reading it aloud to my husband. I looked at him and I was like, Carrie is going to be so triggered by this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out I was correct. <laughs> well, it's that and I was thinking of um, Dragon Age Blood Magic. Oh my god, yes. I just got cat burling. I hate that. In my mouth. Ugh, sorry. Anyway, if you're watching video, that's why I'm like digging in my mouth now. Um, yeah, I read that and was like, oh my god, she's gonna be so triggered. <laughs> but, and I loved, I loved that scene at the end there when she just describes how the wolf is at the door. Like, because we know that that's just a thing. It's very much like with the blood angels. Well, a little different, right? It, but it, it's very much like the blood angels, what they go through. Right. And just constantly having this awful, awful thing just kind of lurking out mm -hmm. there. And I liked that he comes back from it. I was kind of worried. I was like, oh, no, he's going to go bullfin, and then everyone's going to die messily. And we're all going to feel really bad about it. But no. I don't know if I'd feel that bad about the Inquisitor dying, though, to be totally honest. So let's talk about Falks. Is she a good Inquisitor? I know that we don't do good and bad here, but <laughs> is she 
Well, to You're a good inquisitor. To borrow a phrase from the game, the work uh, Warhammer community, is she evil or just really good at her job? So, I is she good at her job? I don't. Okay, I don't think she was good at her job. I don't either. And I, because I, which makes her fascinating. Which makes so can't even talk. I don't know what her point was with this and learning about Thraka. I don't know what the end game was. I think, honestly, I think, and we don't typically get to see this with Order Xenos, which made this so interesting. You think it was just we for the pursuit of knowledge? Yes. And I think she is like Possibly. any number, any number of Ordo Malleus Inquisitors who end up treating with demons and psychers and all sorts of looking at you, Eisenhower, like end up going down these dark, dark roads because they are convinced. They're just convinced that if I can get that one piece of knowledge, that's going to be our key. That's going to save us because they all kind of have this weird savior complex, right? I'm going to save the Imperium. I'm going to unlock that door of knowledge. And we see it so much with the Ordo Malleus and the Ordo Hereticus, but we don't we don't really see it with the Ordo Xenos. Like, we see them, as you mentioned, in that story that I still can't think of which one it was. We see them befriending Xenos and using their stuff. And yeah, kind of the fact that she gave them as many weapons as she did. It was like, you I mean, doing? for the fact that just for some possible information on what happened to Thraka. Right. And if the he's still around, that you, you're willing to sacrifice five worlds for them to raid. So we're talking millions of people that you're just going to... At that point, probably billions. You're just going to sacrifice for your personal knowledge. And what did you even get? Nothing. You may have low-key helped... You almost helped... Raka, come back. Come back. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that more about what really is going on in the. Which is like oh oh my god this is like just a different side of Sons of Titan it really is because this exact thing happened with those gray knights, and that in their pursuit of trying to find this one thing what happened to that story, they summoned Kugoth, who was not happy. <laughs> you know it, it it's that same. It's just that same thing that we try to get that one piece of knowledge. And what happens? It was for nothing. It was all for nothing. Well, not only was it all for nothing, you might have just brought the beast back. Right. And you've sacrificed millions, millions, billions, maybe, of Imperial lives. Good job, folks. But what a bloody pickle you're in now. Like, I got to the end and was just like, oh, you dumb bastard. Like, the only thing she can do at this point is try to tip off some space marines in those areas. Be like, by the the way, I got information. This is going to happen. Can you go check on these worlds? That's like the only thing she could possibly do to redeem herself. But, you know, she talked about how old she was as well. That she's like, you know, nearing the end of her life. She felt like every, every one of those 136 years... 
Like, what are you doing? Was this like your big hurrah, your big thing that you were going to get the big thing about Thraka and that was going to turn everything into the Imperial's favor in regards to your war against the orcs? Well, you failed. Like, you should have listened to Hendrickson. And I think it's, I think it's kind of like a lot of Inquisitors that we've seen, right? It's the Batman. It's like every Inquisitor we've seen except for Covenant so far. But, so far. (laughs) But, again, it's it's the Batman phrase, right? You either die the hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I think that happens with so many of these Inquisitors. And just the arrogance there. But there was also, like, an undercurrent of desperation with her because they keep mentioning she's on the outs. Right. She is not on good terms with the Ordos. And so bringing Makari to them was kind of, like, her ticket back in. So you just yeah, stick ex- it to your point. You except sacrificed that, how many planets so that you could go back to the country club? Except that I don't think the Lord Inquisitor of the Ordo Zenos is when he finds if he finds that out, is not going to be pleased. No, I cannot imagine that he would I mean I would imagine that, that would be like, Well, how did you get Makari? We we have our ways. Oh, okay. I I firmly believe the Inquisition has, like, a pretty strong don't ask, don't tell. Like, well, how did you get this knowledge? Fell off the back of a truck. Oh, okay. <laughs> Works for us. <laughs> like, plausible deniability. Um, and uh, I don't, I just don't know if I think they would be happy about this or angry. Now, if she does, in fact, if she has aided in the return of Thraka... That's not gonna. Be, that's gonna be a really awkward conversation. Assuming she survives the next ten minutes, <laughs> the end of the book. Um, that's gonna be a really awkward conversation too. And like a lot of the inquisitors that we've seen with like demons and stuff, they don't necessarily get to live to tell the tale, right? Like everybody right. just knows, giant demon showed up, everything went really bad. I have a feeling and, Hendrickson resigns his post. Oh. I think so. Especially because you maybe just aided and abetted one of the Space Wolves' just most hated enemies. Right. Like, so let's talk about that because it was a very interesting announcement this week that ties directly into this book. Because we're going to talk about what we think happens after the end of this book. But Black Library teased the next Dawn of Fire book which is wolf time and it deals with Gosgul Thraka. What's going to happen next? Uh, I hope it ties, since it's Scav Thorpe, this better tie into Ashes of Prospero in some form or fashion. Because otherwise I don't know why else he would be writing this book. I'm going to actually kind of laugh pretty hard. If that book doesn't get mentioned at all, we're going to be like, hey! Oh, no, that will not be cool. Like, like I know that you weren't a big fan of that book, but as I guess because I was a Thousand Sons fan, that to me was super important that they've they found Lost Legion. Not only that, but they all learned the truth of what happened at Prospero. That's all very huge, huge in the lore. And I'll be, and for Gav Thorpe, 
who is so good about writing dark angels and you know no small nugget of information is ever dropped because dark angels i would be both shocked and super disappointed if all of that gets dropped when he writes the wolf time because it doesn't I don't think it will but i mean you brought forth as you said missing legion from pre-heresy right right because when they come out of the warp they don't know about horror right they're just like yeah horror sent us to do this and everyone's like mm, awkward um uh, I don't know how they would weave that in, especially given, I want to like level set right now, you guys, I don't care where you live in the world, you will hear me scream if they tease Lehman Russ's return. Wherever you live, you're going to hear me screaming. I'm really excited about that concept because wolf time, and he's not returning until wolf time. Anyways, and if it's Thraka, I did love when Thraka's like, oh, I wish I killed a Primarch. Wish I could have fought a Primarch. Or wish that it was a Primarch that killed him, not Ragnar Blackmane. I was like, I'm sorry, Ragnar Blackmane's a badass. So, uh, Yeah, and yeah. he's gone through the Rubicon Primaris now, so he's also bigger, like Praka. Yeah, and he uh, he not dead, <laughs> unlike you. He not dead, friend. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't keep a good killer down, let's be real. Well, maybe this will be, maybe this will be Thraka's chance. To, I mean, if that is the sign of Lehman Russ returning, I man, I I don't know. Because I know there's been a lot of people that were angry about the title of Wolf Time because they believe that's the final battle. Well, okay, I haven't read obviously when he walks away, but I know he says he'll be back at the Wolf Time. That doesn't mean the final battle. That just means at the Wolf Time. Who knows what that means? To be fair, um, I won't be able to handle it if they bring him back. I just won't be able to handle it. Why? It's a lovely Minras. And because. Okay, I, I just was like, if you're going to like be mad that I they brought him back. No, I am going to fangirl. But like, I. I just can't wait for the first conversation between Lehman and Reboot. I just want that conversation to happen. Like, so I see you haven't been following the codex. We used it as toilet paper. Uh, it's like a serious kind <laughs> so, of look. You know, somehow I don't think Robbie Bobby cares. The space At this wolves. point, I don't think he does either. He's just going to be like, Please go kill something. Russ is going to be like, shit, that's all you had to say. (laughs) (laughs) He's on it. Um, But especially if the Raka is coming back. And I hope, I really hope that this, and I, I hope that these were written around the same time where they will play into this. Because I would love to see Falks in that book. Or or like just a reference to her, right? That like, oh, Thraka's back in... Might have been an Inquisitor who kind of helped him. It's going to be awesome because we all know how much the Space Wolves love the Inquisition. Yes. They just love them. It's just layers of awkward and I love it. Remember that one time that the Inquisition was going to exterminatus Fenris? Remember? Pepperidge Farms remembers. Ragnar Blackmane remembers. Oh, Ragnar Blackmane. Logan Grimnar 
remembers. Bjorn remembers. He I did. I did like when Hendrickson cursed and was like Bjorn's claws. <laughs> I was like, oh man. I also giggled when uh, Hendrickson is using his psyker abilities, and Falx is like doing everything through the vision of Makari, and she's. <laughs> And as she's seeing Ragnar Blackmane, she's like, oh, now it makes sense of why they call the tanks Salim and Russ. Like, wow, you're, you're a smart Inquisitor, too. You have a friggin' space wolf with you. And you don't see why that could... Okay, whatever. Whatever, chick. It's a weird scene, but I really liked it, is when he strips down naked, and she's like, I'm not into men in general, but... There's nothing. There's nothing. Okay. She's like, there's nothing good looking about it. Can they stop drawing them so attractively on all the book covers then? But I liked when she was like, this is not a man. This is. Well, I think it was mainly because you would think, yes, he's probably, you know, he's very muscled and everything. But as they talked about all the socket ports that are in them for the black carapace, like that would be a turnoff. and the fact that they have no waist because their rib cage is extended. Right. Like, just everything about them, right? It does sound... And I do like where she's like, they're kind of... When you finally find out what she said to start the bar fight, <laughs> that the Xenos that we give laurels to, I was like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, I, I did like her kind of constant reminders that this guy's not human. This is not one of us. Um scene was like kind of weird but also I was like geez just a good reminder that these guys are really dangerous but you're absolutely right when she's like oh that's why they call it the Lehman Russ but I kind of imagine it being like one of those things that like you're you knew right your brain didn't consciously think about it until you see it and you're like oh that's why like I that whole thing that was great when she's seeing through Makari's eyes especially with Ragnar I'm such a Space Wolf fangirl, I'm sorry. There's certain Space Wolves I like. And I do like Hendrickson. I really did like him. He was great. Um, so I'm really excited for Wolf Time. And I just, I hope that this book plays into it. Now that we kind of know about Thraka and know what he's about. I also liked this book because it establishes them. Because we talk about like how basically humanity is beset upon all sides, right? We have the Necrons who are moving. The Tyranids are moving. They're huge. Abaddon just scored a major win, right? I like the idea that Yeah, but that was like, at this point, Abaddon's win was like five years ago now. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) What has he done since then? Well, it's like, just one more thing, right? It's like, oh, and by the way, Throck is coming back, and this is his end goal. Like, huh. Oh, man. (laughs) Like, the poor Imperium. They're just... Maybe they do need all the Primarchs to come back. At least as many back as there are the traitor Primarchs that are still alive. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Totally agree. I would, again, if they're going to tease Lee when Russ returned, this would be the perfect time to do it. Especially with Thraka. I, but, but I have, is, oh man, but this brings up so many questions with the whole Dawn of Fire series. So if it really is going to be about the orcs, well, what about the Necrons that you've been like harping on for this whole Indomitus crusade and you know it happened at the end of the Gate of Bones and it's just 
I don't know. I think what the Dawn of Fire series is trying to tell you is that the Necrons are huge. The Necrons are everywhere. This is the big, the new big threat. <laughs> but the rest of the threats didn't go away. So, like, especially in Gate of Bones, right? It's like, look, chaos is still out here. The the, the Traitor Marines are still here. This book is going to be like, do we mention that the Orcs are still here? I Except would actually... This is good. I'm afraid it's going to become like Spider-Man 3. You know, and I know it doesn't exist, but the Tobey Maguire movie, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. The biggest problem with that movie, aside from the whole scene, was, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about, uh, <laughs> is the, uh, uh, it's the fact that it had too many enemies. They decided to do Hobgoblin, they decided to do Venom, and they decided to do Sandman. Had you focused on any one of those, it would have been fine. Instead, you had, like, three half-assed villain stories. Yeah, the movie was basically divided into thirds. Sandman, I think, actually probably would have been the most compelling, only because, and I cannot think of his name for the life of me right now, but I really liked the guy that they cast as Sandman, and I thought he made him interesting. See, all I could, see, the problem with the guy that cast as Sandman, and I've seen him in so many things, and I know he's a voice of the actor, but all I think of him is is Lowell from Wings. (laughs) That's all I think of him. And I know that was so long ago, but, you know, it's just one of those things that just kind of sticks with you. totally know what you're talking about and i um it's like the first thing i think i can't think of his name but i almost said i was like you know the dude from wings lol yeah i wasn't sure that you had seen that one yeah i yeah because when i the first movie i think i saw him outside of wings was george of the jungle because he was like you know the villain boyfriend and i was just like it's lol like how could we take this guy seriously it's lol (laughs) but yeah Uh, because he's awesome and he's a great he's, character. He's a great character actor. It's just that's just the first thing I think of him as is, you know, it's this, you know what? It's the same thing with Woody Harrelson. Every time I see Woody Harrelson, yeah, I'm thinking, all I think of him is is Woody from Cheers. I, for the longest time, he was never so. My parents were obsessed with Cheers, but he was actually because I, of the, I was of that age and everybody sneaked into the movie theater to see natural born killers. That's always Woody Harrelson in my mind until recently. And now he's the character that he played in um, No Country for Old Men because that's one of my favorite movies. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church. You feel better now? So much better now. No, I don't actually, because I'll feel better when I remember the name of that book come to me and I'll think of it and I'm going to be like oh yeah well we either read it this year or in the fall of 2020 so we don't have to look too far into the scope but was it the first Dawn of War book or Dawn of Fire you know what it could have been it could have been Avenging Sun I think it was because it's the guy that they rescue who yes. faces off against the corn, the yes. cornite. Yes. World eater. Yes. Okay, do you feel better? I feel so much better now. I feel so much better. And I know that we, and we talked about this on one of our Patreon episodes. I know that it kind of sucks when we do a book that's just available in limited edition. But if you were wondering to yourself, should I get this book? It's fun as hell. So yes, you should. I... I definitely read the authors afterwards because it'll probably like I liked the book and then I read that and I was like oh I like it even more now just like 
Yeah, and apparently, you know, this was his very first Black Library novel. I really hope he writes more. Whether it's the orcs or not, I like his style. He has another book coming out that we're going to be reading. It's because it's the next Necron book. It has a special edition coming out, too. It is The King of Ruin. Okay. The Ruined King. There's King and Ruin in there for okay. the title. Yeah, I haven't really paid attention to their coming soon stuff because it changes all the time anyway, so... That's a good point, and they haven't updated their coming soon page in, like, six months. Anyways, we're not better. So, to celebrate something that is coming soon, it appears that a classic novel that I read, like, teen years ago, so it's time to reread it, is coming out in limited edition, but they're not gentle readers because you can pick it up on ebook or you can pick it up in paperback if you can go you know have a store nearby you we are reading storm of iron by graham mcneil really excited to read this again because it's been like it's been a spell and i'm really this excited is, for carrie this is the only place i have it it's in the yes, omnibus you can get it in the iron warriors omnibus it's the first book in there um i'm so excited i'm so excited for this i hope it last like i'm actually like a little scared yeah what if this is one of those ones that i was in a weird place 15 years ago 12 years ago 13 i don't know anyways okay you guys but you guys all need to feel sorry for me because i'm going to be getting texts like constantly so where are you what do you think of this have you gotten here yet so on a scale of one to ten how much do you love hanzo <laughs> and it probably be one of them um this is a really fun book if you have or haven't if you have read it definitely Come and check us out. Um, if you haven't read it, now is a great time. I was actually telling my husband, and I don't want to like overhype it, but this book, in my memory at least, is peak McNeil. Like, definitely one of his best books that he's written. And the 40k universe. There's a lot in the Horus Heresy that I'm like, oh, you can't really hold a candle to that one. Looking at you, Angel Exterminatus. Oh, see, I haven't read that one yet, but... Uh... Man, I really do like his Uriel Ventress books, so that's gonna be kind of hard to top. I love Uriel Ventress so to top much. those. So we'll see. I mean, I do have to say. So I know, like in the omnibus, there is a short story. There's several short stories in here, but um, I'm pretty sure one of them is in one of the many short story anthologies that I have read. Just because I remember reading a short story that had Hanso in it, because the only short story where I actually the uh, chapter name. I understood because that's how long ago I had read it and I enjoyed it because I was like Hanso is such an interesting he's a very uh, he's he's an interesting character he's not one-sided and he's diabolical and so it was, so it makes him fun to read he is fun I think that was probably the Her Heraclitus effect um that's a really good one. I you know, think that was in a couple volumes. I will, I will, as soon as I figure it out which one it is, I will let you know. But and um, I will be interested to hear what you think of this, because this is the rise of Ponzo. So this is where he's just a, just like a guy. So this is before Uriel Ventress? The first, yes. okay. Actually, this book takes place like right before. Mm. The Uriel Ventress book where he shows up. <laughs> Before so, Uriel Ventress ruined his life. Anyway. I imagine most of his dates are like, instead of like BC or, you know, AD, it's probably like BU, 
AU <laughs> after that asshole ultramarine. <laughs> Just saying. Do you yeah. want to take us out, Carrie? I sure, I sure will. So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Gosgol Thraka by Nate Crowley. Be sure to join us for our next book, Storm of Iron by Graham McNeil. Please do join us for that. Jen's super excited about this. I'm not sure she's more excited that she's reading it or I now have to read it. Maybe a little bit of both. Both is good. (laughs) Both. Both is good. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crack. I'm Alfarious, people. We're gonna take a break to say, get you some green. Not chartreuse. This is like orky green. Get you the green. I mean, get you the green. That is kind of a nice little alliteration going on there as well. Get you the green, get. There you go. (laughs) Good night, everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.